old self and the new self. But let's come think for a moment again about Colossians. So far in Colossians, the theme of Colossians is the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. He's above all. He's all more than all that we need. It's another way of talking about the grace of God. God supplies us with all that we need for life and godliness through Jesus, by his promises, through the Holy Spirit. So here we are now in Colossians chapter 3. Let's just read the first bit of it. Okay, The old self and the new self. Therefore, since you've been raised with Christ, strive for the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Remember, his supremacy is above all things. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You've been raised with Christ. If you were baptized, you acted it out. The completed work of Jesus with us and for us, we take hold of through faith and baptism. We died and were raised in him and with him. And so, seek or strive for the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The false teachers in Colossae probably made a lot about all sorts of heavenly mysteries. You know, oh, I had a dream, I had a vision. So Paul tells the believers they, that all they need to actually really know about heaven is that's where Jesus is for them. That's where Jesus is, and where he is, we will be also. In the parallel letter they were to receive, the one we call Ephesians, he tells them that they are raised with Jesus. He goes further with that. You're not only seated with him, you're raised with him and seated with him in the highest heaven. So set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Rather than inquiring into mysteries and always having a new revelation and a new thing coming from heaven, so as people claim, we should focus on Jesus, who is our anchor in heaven. Hebrews 6. Those two work together. We set our minds on action, and then by the grace of God, by the help of the Spirit, we act. We are responsible, but we are responsible to act with the help of God. By the way, you need to change the label, some people. You are not a victim. Christ calls you to be a victim. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died with Jesus. You're dead to your sins. Since you died with Christ, why live in those sins any longer? You're raised with Christ in your life. Since you're raised with Christ, why, live, why not live in what you are given, which is freedom, and righteousness. Paul argues these things in other letters with reference to our baptism. Don't you remember you were baptized? And I've read commentaries that argue these things strongly, and yet some of those people actually believe in baptizing babies. I don't get it. You're supposed to remember how you were baptized, and therefore that's an impetus and a reminder of how you are now to live. If you don't remember it, how can that be real for you? How can you relate to dying and being raised with Christ through baptism if you can't remember it because it was only done to you by, by a man in a whatever? Anyway, no. It doesn't stack up for me. When we're baptized, we accept and act out having died with Jesus, having been buried with Jesus, and having been raised with Jesus. Remember that day. It's good to remember that day. Oh, I remember that day. I was 18. And reckon yourself as now, as dead to sin and alive to God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. Because that's his promise, that where he was going to, going away from us, we would be gathered to him there. 
He's now seated in the throne of God in the highest and holiest heaven. And those to whom Jesus is now their life will one day appear with him in that glory. So what is our response to this grace? Since all we've just read and considered in all the previous chapters, which I can't go back over this morning, what's our response to this? Well, it's an interesting one. What's Paul going to say next? Kill it. Put to death, therefore, the components of your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. That's strong language, isn't it? Put it to death. Paul uses three ways here of saying sexual misbehavior. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Some say evil desires is as well, but... We know from Scripture what is appropriate and inappropriate sexual behavior. And we're not changing that. We will not bow to the modern prejudices and patterns of behavior. We'll say, no, that isn't right, because God says it isn't right. And yes, the Old Testament law still applies in terms of morality and human behavior. God's moral law doesn't change. Then there's evil desires and greed. Evil desires is, I believe, wider than sexual appetites and behavior. To to desire what is contrary to God's good and wise order is an evil desire. Right? If it's against his will and against his wisdom, then it's an evil desire. And then greed, which is idolatry. Now, let me tell you, our world runs on greed. it's, It's the fuel of the economy, it's the fuel of, of advertising, greed. You want it because you see it, you want it because you were told about it. Greed is idolatry. Those who covet are greedy. Those who love money worship a false god. It's an idolatry. And idolatry is spiritual adultery. It's unfaithfulness to God who is the true God. And we kill these things because, as we've all been told, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But now also, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Sons is just children. Okay, not sex, it's not a male only uh, reference. Children of disobedience. In other words, that's what they're born into, that's what they carry on with. The wrath of God will come upon the children of disobedience. When you lived among them, you also used to walk in these ways. Remember Ephesians 2, that's, where, that's the same reference. Those who disobey the Lord, who practice these things, who worship idols, who behave in sexual immorality, will face his wrath. Some people think the Old Testament is nasty and the New Testament is nice. They imagine that God changed in character between Malachi and Matthew. He has not. He is still the judge of all. And the New Testament is, of course, much shorter than the Old Testament. But if you look at how many references there are in the New Testament to the judgment of God and the wrath of God, pro rata, there's just as many. Jesus himself talked about God's judgment and wrath. Many of the scriptures that talk about eternal punishment, most of them, in fact, come from the mouth of Jesus himself. The wrath of God will come upon those who are disobedient to God and the gospel. So why live like those who are heading for judgment? What could possibly be worth imitating in the children of disobedience? Let me say that again. What could possibly be worth imitating 
in the children of disobedience. And when we lived among them, we used to walk in their ways. We were the same as everyone else. Let's not think, I'm a Christian now. We were the same. Children of disobedience, rebels and sinners against God. You used to walk in these ways. Don't walk in them anymore. No more. Finish. Stop. Saved by grace, live by grace. But then changes the language. He talks about changing your outfit. He uses the picture of putting off one set of clothes and putting on another set. It's gentler language than put to death. But you still need to put some things to death. Kill it. But it is still a deliberate choice and action. Do you remember the story Jesus told about the, the lost son? We tend to call it the prodigal son. I'm going to explain why that's not quite the right description, but never mind. The lost son who returned to his loving father, and when he returned, the father was waiting for him, and, and he didn't even finish his kind of big, really, really sorry speech. The father had grabbed him and hugged him, brought him in the house. And the father said, kill the fatted calf, put a, the, the, the best robe on him. What was that son wearing when he arrived home? He'd been away a long time and he'd lived pretty miserably and wretchedly. His last job was feeding pigs. He was probably filthy, dirty and living in really, really mucked up, probably raggedy clothes. So let me su just suggest to you, it's adding to the story, but to, before you put the best robe on, you take the, what, the old dirty one off. Yeah? yeah. I have a shower as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in between. So the old clothes go off. And cleaned up, new clothes go on. Got the picture? Yeah. Put off. But now you must put aside all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another since you've taken off the old self with his practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image, sorry, in knowledge, in the image of his creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, no religious racial difference, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, those are the completely wild people of the far north in those days, slave or free. Remember people were enslaved? Most workers were slaves in those days. They're not slavery as the British invented it, you know. Well, we didn't invent it, but we were terribly good at it. But Christ is all and is in all. Anger, rage and malice are inward emotions that you feel. But you choose whether to express them or deal with them. Slander Filthy language and lies are how we speak. We're told to put off, discard, throw away, ditch it. Both feelings and emotions that lead us to behave unfittingly as Christians and patterns of speech that are unbecoming for Christians. Filthy language needs no explanation. I am appalled to hear such language in public spaces. No Christian should run a dirty mouth. But there are other forms of swearing, of oaths. Using oaths to emphasize what we're saying, or to, to express our feelings. And in Scripture, we're told to swear by nothing, but to let our yes be yes, and our no be no. Plain speaking. You do not need to hyper-emphasize 
You need to let people know that your word can always be trusted. We should be telling the truth. I'm not having to swear that we are. Notice we have stripped off the old self with its doings and have put on the new self. If you've believed, repented, been baptized, that transaction has taken place. But we still need to deal with some issues as they arise. And we are not sanctified in one crisis, but in a series of of events and things. When the Lord shows you, hey, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and he won't accuse you, he won't tell you, you're a rotten grusher, and you are, that's the the, the voice of the enemy. The Holy Spirit will say to you, let's let's think about this. Let's let's put this on the spotlight. Come on, let's change here. Right? And he'll lead you to think about it, and, and assess it, and repent of it. And ask him for his help to change. That's progressive sanctification. That's why when people become a first Christian, we don't give them a huge list of do's and don'ts. Because I've learned from experience, the Holy Spirit will show them that one, and then that one, and then that one. And the, you know? But if they're doing something that's obviously wrong and you know, a, bit, a bit disturbing, I'll talk to them about that one. But, you know? The new self is being remolded into full knowledge so as to become like him who created it. Eternal life has begun in us and for us, but we're not yet ready to enter into our destiny. We're still being renewed. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, We, with unfailed faces, reflect the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory. The King James says, from glory to glory, which comes from the Lord, the Spirit. The Spirit keeps showing us light and we keep changing into the light and growing into the light. We're all equal in this. We were all sinners. We are all justified by faith in Jesus and we are all changed and being changed. Paul makes this point to the Galatians. Paul includes in them male and female. There's no difference in in our freedom in Christ, our standing in grace. Slaves or freemen, males or females are different in role in this life. And scripture talks about that. But equal in the Lord, equal heirs of God. That's why both male and female are called unashamedly in scripture, sons of God. Because we're chosen to be holy, we should choose to be holy. But whilst the law said, do this and you will live, grace says, live and do this. You're given the life. You're given the grace. You're given the power. You're given the authority to do what God tells you to do. By the grace of God and the Spirit of God. Okay, I'm looking at the wrong sheet. (laughs) So we're to put on. Okay, we're talking about mostly putting off so far. Now we're going to talk about putting on. Listen to these words. These are words that were addressed to the children of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, in the wilderness. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive any complaints you may have against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which is the bond of perfect unity. I said those words, holy, beloved, elect, are words that are brought forward from the Old Covenant. It's what the Lord said to Israel. But those in Messiah, Jesus, are not another people of God. We are the continuation of Israel. 
We are the 12 tribes. We are the children of Abraham according to the promise of God. Now weigh those words which are addressed to us. We are, get this, chosen, holy, beloved. That had nothing to do with us. It was all God's choice. All of God's grace. We never earned one bit of that. It is what Jesus has brought us into. And we enter into this relationship of the covenant love of God simply through faith in Jesus. This putting off and putting on is our responsibility, but we do it by the help of God's grace and spirit. We're obeying and cooperating with the help of the spirit. So clothe yourselves. And really, what Paul talks about clothing ourselves with, uh, we can label up as being the love of Christ and the peace of Christ, and then we go on to the word of Christ. Contrast anger, rage, and malice, which we're to put off or kill, with hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. They're very different, aren't they? You throw off the one and put on the other. Put off the rage, put off the anger, put off the malice, put off the slander, and put on hearts of compassion. Now you say, well, I don't feel like that. I don't, God can say, how do you feel? He says, put this on. So your response is, how do I do that? Come and ask me. All right? Come and ask me for it. Father, please give me more of a heart of compassion. Please give me more kindness. Please show me how to be more humble. Please lead me in gentleness and patience. Make me more like Jesus in these things. Let the love... You see, here's the thing. I'm going to knock a guitar if I go there. The love of Jesus. Oh, we love the, the love of Jesus. You know, we, how sweet is the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is supposed to be a bit like kind of a, a fluid, an oil or a wine or something. It's poured in so it can be poured out. The love of God is to fill us so that we then communicate out of that treasure. And out of that, we draw from that well in our dealings with others. But we're bound to forgiveness. We, you know, forgiveness isn't an option. It's a duty. Yeah? Oh, I'll forgive somebody when I feel like it. You'll never feel like it. Just do it. Well, I'll think about it. Don't think about it. Just do it. We are bound to forgive those who offend us and hurt us because we are forgiven by the Lord whom we offended and hurt. Just as the Lord forgiven you, you must also forgive. If you want to remain living within this mercy of God, we must learn to deal mercifully with people around us. Jesus said, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Then it says in Scripture, over all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of union. Put on love. Not just bits of love, like the, the compassion and kindness, but put on love. Love will lead you to do very, not just be, be kind to people and not mess them around and not offend them if you can avoid it, but it will lead you to do positive, real acts of kindness, real acts of mercy, prompted by love. Jesus felt compassion and healed people. You know, 
Um, there was, they, were, they were burying a young man, and the, the, literally the funeral was walk, going past them. They were carrying him on a you know, pallet and going to go and bury him because they, they buried people the same day in those, those places and times. And Jesus felt compassion for the mother and, he, and, 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 and raised her son to life. You know, that's what compassion can push you to, to trust God for extraordinary things because you're moved with compassion for people. Over all these things put on love. And love is the perfect bond of union, of unity. Then it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, for to this you were called as members of one body. And be thankful. Love is the bond of unity, and the atmosphere and enjoyment of brotherly and sisterly love is peace. Peace is not just the end of enmity and war, it's, it's something positive, it's, it's a positive relationship. To live in peace is not just to say nothing, but to say those things which are helpful and encouraging and good. Yeah? Think if, if I, I'll hold my peace. No. Peace is very positive. The living together, the talking together, the, the sharing together, that's, that's to be done in peace. A bond of love and unity, creating peace. This statement here, by the way, is not focused on me as an individual, you as an individual, but us together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because you're called as members of one body. Love, unity, peace is together. I have my part to play in that, but it's not about, I've got peace, all to myself. Peace is to be a common experience and a shared experience. There are other scriptures that say similar things about us as individuals, but this one, the emphasis is on the body of which we're members and shared love and shared peace that should be characteristics of this community of light. Oh, and it says, sorry, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I forgot about that bit. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The, the word there is a bit like the umpire. You know, in cricket or something, the referee. You know, this was this was this was bad behaviour. That's wrong, or that's that's that was goal was good, or whatever it is. Yeah, the umpire. Weymouth New Testament says, "Let the peace which Christ gives settle all questionings in your hearts. Let the peace of God help you to settle the issue. The peace of Christ. Good News Bible says, the peace that Christ gives to you." is to us, is to guide us in the decisions we make. Be guided in the decisions we make by the peace of God. Now, you can do that as an individual. I have, I've prayed and I have peace to do this, but I don't, I don't have peace to do that, so I'm not going to do it. But we as a church, and again, let me just mention again, appointment of a new pastor early next year, or I hope for early next year, for, for your sakes. Um, if we don't have peace about that option, then we don't take that option. We look for the, the help of the Holy Spirit to come to peace about what is the wise and right thing to do. So as an individual or as a community, if you do not have peace about it, don't choose it, don't do it. If it doesn't maintain the peace of the Lord between us, don't choose it, don't do it. And then Paul moves on to the word of Christ. Everything should be according to the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you 
within you, dwell richly within you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Who does the teaching and admonishing? Pastor? All of us. As you teach and admonish one another. Got it? With all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude, which can be translated their grace in your hearts to God. The word of Christ is the message about him and, of course, his own teaching and words too. And you could say, really, most of the rest of the New Testament is them remembering and explaining and applying the words and teaching of Jesus. Let his word live us in us richly. Let it fill me. And when we do that together, we can then spill out to other people helpful words to teach, to correct. Use his word with one another to encourage, to explain, to correct, to warn. Please don't think that teaching and explaining and applying just for us Sunday preachers. It should be a whole way of life together. We are spilling out the word of God to one another. Speaking for each other's good, for each other's help, for each other's building up and encouragement. Make sure that his word lives and rules in you, that it's shaping how you live, then seek to help your brothers and sisters around you too to live the same way. You only need to be one step ahead of somebody to help them step along. It's called discipleship. You learn something, encourage your brother and sister to do the same. Then we get an interesting insight here into how first century Christians worship. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms are the Old Testament book of Psalms. There used to be a publication on a Sunday, I think it was called the Sunday People or sort of News, News of the World or something like that. And it said all human life is here, meaning they, they were going to give you all the trashy, guttery stories in it, you know, like some people do today. All human life is in the Psalms. You can read the Psalms and you'll find rejoicing, and you'll find ones which are filled with bitter lament. Some are overflowing with joy and some are soaked in sorrow. Whatever is your present experience, whatever is your condition, I'm telling you today there is a psalm for you to express that honestly before the Lord. Unashamedly, read the psalm. If, you, if we were old, really, really old-fashioned Anglicans and Protestants, we'd sing all the psalms. To set tunes. They have a version of Psalms which are, which are metered, so they, they scan, they rhyme, kind of thing. Do you know when we sing, which is, comes after that collection of the Psalms in meter, in rhyme? The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want, he makes me down to lie in pastures green, he leads me the quiet waters by. That's, that's a Psalm that was turned into English poetry so you could remember it and sing it. Psalms. Then there's hymns. We've got a few examples in the New Testament of the hymns they sang. Uh, I've got in my, I haven't put them up here. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Ephesians 5, 14. Philippians 2, 6 to 11. The famous, who being in the form of God, thought it not equal with God. That, that, that scans in Greek. It's a hymn. 1 Timothy 3, 16. All scriptures inspired by God. In each of those places, Paul is quoting a contemporary first century hymn, something they sang, a short song. Didn't have many, many verses, they were just short songs it seemed. He labels some of them as being, this is a true saying, and then he quotes it. I quote old hymns and modern songs quite often when preaching. And yesterday, Carrie and I, when we were coming here, two of our ladies, one giving a testimony, one preaching, 
sang a little bit as they went through doing what they were doing. So, you know, because the reason that hymns and, and songs like that are useful is to remember them. Because you, they, they rhyme, they scan, you sing them, you remember them. Hey, guess what? If they've got enough truth in them, that's really, really helpful, isn't it? We could sing little ditties. Oh, my goodness, when I was a young guy. Elim chorus book and songs before the meeting, whether it was in Elim or Assemblies of God, some of them are rubbish, man. <laughs> Pathetic. Sunshine Corner, oh, it's jolly fine. It's for children under 99. <laughs> what are we doing? But now, I mean, you, there are some songs that don't get sung because I say, they know a good one. Most of the songs we sing are worth singing, right? With all your heart. Hymns. Thank God we've got all sorts of songs. Some are multi-verses and some are just little phrases, but they're, they're, they're all called hymns in this language here. True sayings. Because we sing them, we remember them. They get fixed in our memories. And so that, that's good for us. Because there are moments of crisis when, you know what, my, somehow my brain goes numb and I can't think of scripture, but you know what, I can always think of a song. I can always remember a hymn. And some of them I learnt when I was a kid. I sang them in school, but they're still with me to this day. Hymns are good, man. Songs of the Spirit, which is what spiritual songs mean. They're not a song of your spirit, they're a song that's inspired in you by the Holy Spirit. I've often said that spiritual and scripture refers almost always to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not an attribute or characteristic in us. I know that's not what the dictionary says, but I'm here to preach the Bible, not the dictionary. A spiritual song is a song that's prophetically inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as Pentecostals, we should be doing this. In other words, when it, it doesn't matter that the, when the musicians are playing and when the musicians are just kind of like singing, but they're not singing the song. What are we doing? We're taking that moment for every one of us to sing our own song, to bring a new song to the Lord. Whether we do it in tongues, unknown language, or in English, uh, or your own language, if you like, because at that moment, we're not listening to one another, we're just bringing our song to the Lord. Can you trust the Holy Spirit to open your heart, to open your mouth and to sing a new song? Such a song may be entirely personal. You're just singing it before the Lord because we all are all together. Or someone may sing out in tongues or in English for the benefit of the rest of the people. It will be a God-centered song. It will be a Christ-centered song. It's not singing a prophecy. Prophecy is speaking by the inspiration of the Spirit, but if, it, if, it's, if, if it's a song or a, a speaking in any tongues, then it's Godward. Any public saying or speaking in an unknown language spoken out over everybody else should be interpreted so that we all understand and we'll benefit and we're all built up. Spiritual songs. Songs of the Spirit. You might wonder sometimes, what are we doing now? We haven't, we're not moving on to the next. No, we're singing together still. We just stopped singing the song. And it's time for us all to sing our song. You got it? All right. Good. Let's do it some more, shall we? Let's do it some more. Then lastly, the work of the Lord. Opus Dei, it is in Latin. And the problem with it being in Latin, when we say that, is that for many centuries, the work of the Lord was something that was locked up to the priests only and all the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. They did the work of the Lord, and you poor people, you just had to do your miserable jobs. Or be a mum, or whatever it was. But they did the work of the Lord. 
Thank God for the Reformation because the Protestants came in and said, no, do you know what? We all do the work of the Lord. I'd like to add an amen to that, but there you go. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God through him. Whatever. Got it? Whatever. It's not just preaching or praying. Whatever. Oh, it's not, oh, whatever. It's whatever, everything you do. What does do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus mean? Every word and deed should be done by his authority. You know who you are and who you belong to. By his wisdom, you're relying on him. By his strength, by his supply, by his spirit, for his honour. Please do not think that your duties in your family or home or in your workplace are anything other than the work of the Lord. It's what he's given you to do. Scripture teaches us that Christians, Christians, everything that is right to do, that is our responsibility to do, is the work of the Lord. We come back to that later on. We talk about uh, employees and employees. The language of Scripture is slaves and masters, but we could talk about it as employer and employees today. It's all the work of the Lord. Do it with all your heart. Do it with all your might. Do it as God's seeing you. Do it with the strength that God supplies. These are, this is the language of New Testament Scripture, and it's addressed to all of us, not just to, to preachers like Timothy and so on, but to all of us. We're engaged in the work of the Lord. That should change the way that we parent. Change the way that we cook the meal. Change the way that we go to our office. Change the way that we get online and do our job for the day. I'm doing the work of the Lord. It's my assigned task now to do this. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. By his authority, with his self, with grace, with wisdom. Everything that we are called to do, don't think it isn't, it's outside of God's calling. Now there are other things you do within that, which is you represent Christ to the people you work amongst and there you are being an ambassador and you're giving an example and when you ask people ask a question, you give them an answer, but you don't stand in your soapbox all day preaching, you're supposed to be working. It's all the work of the Lord. But so many of us still despise the ordinary things that we do every day. I think that's not the real thing. I want to do the real thing. You, my brother, my sister, you are doing the real thing. You just need to wake up to the fact that it is God's task for you. You're assigned to it, and you're equipped for it, and he's with you in it. The work of the Lord. Let me say a particular word to mums. Raising kids is hard work. Fathers come in maybe later in the day and they, they've no idea all that you've done in that day. My sisters, you are doing the work of the Lord. Raising kids for God. It's a great task. It's a noble task. Do not please despise the things you do every day. There's a scripture that says that in God's kingdom, even pots and pans get holy written on them. Would that, would that improve your attitude towards cooking? <laughs> it's all holy to the Lord. It's a question of attitude and it's a question of knowing 
who you are and who you belong to. You have authority to go into that situation, dealing with the kids, cooking them, whatever it is, and do a good job because he's with you there in the everyday things of life. All right. So, a summary. Then we need to break bread. Someone go and tell the young people they need to come in when we begin to break bread. That would be helpful. Thank you. So they're not coming in at the end of it all. Summary. In Colossians 3, we're encouraged and challenged about who we are in Christ and therefore how we live. Having died with Jesus, been raised to a new life in Jesus, there are still things to put off and also things to put on. And the Holy Spirit has said some in this scripture, but there'll be other things he'll mention to you and bring to your attention over time because he's working in you to continue to progressively change you. Pursuing the things that are above is not becoming so heavenly minded you're no earthly use. But seek and be filled with and share in the love of Christ, the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. This is how we grow, how we mature, how we become more what God already calls us, his holy, beloved children and image bearers. We are growing into that measure. We are those who worship God by the Spirit of God. Therefore, we can, we can sing not only psalms, I wish we sang more psalms, or hymns, and there are some old hymns I wish we sang some more of too, but also the songs of the Spirit, spontaneous burstings out of song, whether in an unlang language or in your own language. We are those for whom all life is in the Lord. There, isn't, there aren't bits of life which are holy and the rest has to be something else. It's all to be under his holy view and grace. Every necessary and good work is the Lord's work. So let's pray. Then we'll take communion together. Father, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness, out of our old way of life. And you, we were hung there with Jesus on the cross and we were there in the tomb with Jesus and we are now raised and seated with him in heavenly places. And therefore, Lord, every bit of our current life should be shaped by these great truths. And you tell us that there are things we need to kill or to put off and other things we need to put on. And we need to... We pray that you'll make our minds alert to that, Lord. We'll think about how we handle sexual appetite, how we deal with the language and the words that we use. Then, positively, how we put on new attitudes and new ways of speaking with people which reflect your image, your love, your peace. And then beyond that, Lord, that we positively communicate your words of grace to people around us. Even those we work with who aren't yet Christians, we can speak graciously to them and they wonder, where are you coming from? I'm coming from my place of peace in Christ. Lord, we pray for you to come and invade the spaces of our lives where we thought that you didn't belong there and come and fill them with your light and with your truth. I pray for those who haven't yet surrendered the whole of their life to you, who can't say with, with a full heart, Jesus Christ is Lord, that you'll awaken their heart to that faith today. Amen. Amen. Did you get one of these on the way in?
that Sam's giving people to miss. All right, let's take this together. Got it? See, I'm not a priest giving you the wafer. You've got the wafer in your hand. You're, we're all priests to go. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. One at the cross, working now in our lives. Amen. We thank you, Lord Jesus, too. No one took your life from you, you laid it down. You chose the moment to breathe your last breath and submit your spirit into the hands of the Father. <laughs> it, was all, it was finished, it was done then, so you stopped and went. Thank you for the blood of the covenant. Amen. Good. Good timing. Well, the worship earlier took a shorter time than I thought it would, and my preacher could.